Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. Election workers are on a tight deadline to complete that risk-limiting audit of the general election as it relates to the president of the United States. Now, counties have until tomorrow to complete these audits. Meanwhile, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says he's received pressure from some fellow Republicans to exclude some ballots. In an interview with The Washington Post, Secretary Raffensperger said South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham questioned him on the state's signature verification law. The Georgia Republican Party has made similar allegations with no evidence we should report that the system led to thousands of ineligible votes and, again, with nothing to support their claim. Now, Gabriel Sterling with the Secretary of State's office on Monday addressed the allegations. We've strengthened signature match. We did GBI training with, with the county elections directors to show them how to do this better. So we, we've done a lot on that front. We put in the absentee ballot portal, which has a unique identifier of the driver's license number to tie you back to the individual voter. Sterling went on to call the allegations, quote, a distraction. All the stuff is, we're seeing is, is nothing's really coming to fruition as, as a real issue. Um, so we anticipate our process to continue. We are about accuracy and we're about the process and we're about following the law. So... We're going to follow the law and follow the process. You go through this county certification side, but then we have to go through the risk limiting audit, which in this case triggered the hand auditing of every single ballot. Once that's done, and we are very well on target for Wednesday night, so far as of about an hour ago, 4.3 million ballots have been have been looked at and audited in the state of Georgia. Now, President-elect Joe Biden received twice as many absentee by mail votes as President Donald Trump. Currently, Biden has a lead of just over 13,000 votes as counties continue with the statewide audit of the race. Meanwhile, of course, the other big news at the moment is the rising number of coronavirus cases. And at the time of this broadcast, as we bring you every day, here are your numbers. Total confirmed cases in Georgia, 387,930. The number of hospitalizations... 33,265, and of those, 6,229 were ICU admissions. And since the state began recording deaths, 8,471 since March. And this, of course, is always according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, on tomorrow's program, we'll talk about what's behind the rise in cases with Emory epidemiologist Jody Guess. It's all part of our continuing coverage of the coronavirus pandemic. When we come back, a conversation with Bishop Robert Wright, something maybe we all could use right now. This is Closer Look.
And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. We asked you, the community, to sum up this year. Chaos. <laughs> it's just everything that happened from politics to just the uh, coronavirus to society. It's just nobody expected it. Everything happened at the same time. Nobody was prepared for anything. It was just crazy. Revelation, because it revealed a lot of things. Um, Everybody was put in the same situation and had to deal with a lot of things. It revealed a lot of things about how our government was caring for us. Um, Just a lot of things were revealed this year. Shocking. Uh, Just so many things have happened that I don't think anyone could plan for or expect or even imagine in their wildest dreams. And it's all happened this year. Chaotic, anxious, but at the same time there is hope. So it was hope is the word that I would look for. Yes, truly an extraordinary year and has highlighted in the news media, social media, Uncle Bob. We are a divided nation, everyone says. And that could be why Atlanta Bishop Robert Wright is part of what he calls nine things you can do to heal the nation. And Bishop Wright joins me now. Welcome. Glad to have you back on the program. Thanks, Rose. Good to be with you. How do you sum up this year? <laughs> My goodness, all of those things that we've heard already. I mean, it's it's been a revelation. It's surfaced some stuff that was always there. It's amplified it. It's been chaotic. Uh, it's been a gut punch. And at the same time, living beside all of that it, are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, opportunities for us all to step up, take up some agency and be, you know, as the, as the, as the old saying goes, be the change we want. And we ha- we're realizing, I think, now the limitations of politics, right? right or left, red or blue. And mm. we've got to realize that we're going to have to step up and be an, an active citizenry uh, or this thing is going to come apart. Are we a nation divided? Always have been from the founding. That's what the history books say. Always have been on on slavery, on you know, human dignity, uh, on women, uh, on religion. We always have been. This is our, our DNA. And yet at the same time, there have been amazing chapters in our history together when we found a way to pull together and move forward. And I'm hoping for that now. Throughout all of this since March, um, Bishop Wright, what have you observed? What's been your takeaway and how have you used this? I mean, people call upon you as a member of the faith community. You're sought after for a, a lot beyond just dealing with faith, but dealing with everyday life and all those those issues that go along with that. How have you been able to to be that voice throughout all this? I appreciate that. I think none of us are an island unto ourselves, and so we're interdependent. I've been relying on the wise people in my life, uh, you know, my the, the wisdom bringers, the truth tellers, uh, the people that we can laugh with. All of them have helped me immensely. But I think what we what we realize and, and, and agree upon across a lot of spaces is number one, we've got to acknowledge the reality of this thing. Uh, it, it it is it is there's the reality of the situation. 
of the health situation, of the racial reckoning, of the um, the unseemly sort of political tone. We've got to acknowledge that. And we've got to make space for grief. A lot of people out there are hurting uh, across the board. So we, we have to acknowledge the grief. This is not a time for sort of a stiff upper lip and stoicism. This is a time to acknowledge that this is really difficult. More people, you know, coming down with depression, more people are reaching to substances to make it through. Suicide is up. Uh, alienation, isolation is up. So we've got to acknowledge this, but at the same time, acknowledging it is the perfect precondition for hope. You can't rush through those steps, but those steps, uh, they, they're intertwined. And so as we acknowledge it, we begin to sort of realize we're up against this thing together. And then those people who want hope and who want progress, they emerge, especially at times like this. I've talked to so many people on this program, and when we talk about acknowledging folks, usually it's always acknowledge the other individual's viewpoint and try to look through their lens. But I haven't had anyone say acknowledge the grief. And do you yeah. think that that is what's probably missing, that where folks aren't being sympathetic or empathetic to the plight of someone who may not look like them or come from their community, who's dealing with That's something right. totally different? Yeah, we're, we're afraid to acknowledge grief because we don't want to be, you know, it's a tsunami of grief out there. We don't want to acknowledge it because we feel if we acknowledge it, then we'll never recover. It would just be overwhelmed, but we've got to, you know, we, we've absolutely got to. It means we care when we have grief and when we realize that there's loss. Uh, it, it's a part of the cadence of the world. You know, there, there is grief and there is loss and then hope is born anew. And so we've got to do this. Otherwise, we're going to sort of develop a series of what I call, you know, spiritual, physical, political zombies who don't acknowledge the reality of what's actually happening and therefore never really address it. And in, and in acknowledging that grief, not just with the pandemic, but also are you saying acknowledge the grief that perhaps an entire community is dealing with, whether it be because of the killing of George Floyd or Rayshard Brooks or Sequoia Turner. Uh, is that also part of acknowledging grief then for an entire community that you may not be familiar with? Or even, let's be clear, you may not understand it. I have some folks say to me, I don't understand because I'm not that of that race or of that right. ethnicity. No, I think that's right. I think we've got to acknowledge, there's no, there's no weakness in acknowledging that this hurts. You know, I'm the father of five children. I've had to sit in front of television screens and try to explain this and try to you know, give voice and see uh, how it's impacting. So we, we've got to get it talked about. We've, we've got to point ourselves in healthier directions. And part of that health means saying, this hurts, or I'm afraid, or uh, I have a sort of ambiguous relationship or ambivalent relationship with law enforcement. Yes, they're here to protect and serve, and I've been the beneficiary of that. But at the same time, I'm afraid that you know, a, a broken stoplight or running a stop sign uh, might end, you know, I might wind up in the morgue. All of that is real. Mm -hmm. And so what's, what we're being asked to do right now is to do some, what I call spiritually mature work, all of us, uh, some, some citizen mature work, all of us in realizing that there's a lot of gray. And if we don't account for some of this gray, I mean, think about it. You just reported that over 240,000 Americans have died. More than 8,000 Georgians have died. We have not adequately talked about that. We're racing on and doing things about livelihood, and that's important and all that other stuff. But we have not acknowledged that these people are our friends, our neighbors, church members, uh, society members, uh, club members. These people's lives mattered, white, black, blue, you know, you know, orange and green. These people mattered. And, and we have not done that. We've been in a hurry to do other things and to our own spiritual, physical, mental detriment, I think. Hmm. 
Bishop Wright, what led you to be part of this nine things you can do to, to heal the nation? What's the backstory What's, here? The, the backstory is simply I'm, I'm watching the news like everybody else is. I'm realizing that many of us are just uh, overwhelmed. Right. And, I, and I'm realizing that, you know, we can't outsource this to Washington, D.C., whether your candidate won or didn't win. Uh, we can't outsource this to our governor here in Georgia. We can't outsource this to uh, to the president. We've got to be a more active citizenry. And so I realized that uh, what are, I, I decided, well, what are the things we can actually do? Because there's there's lots of talk, right? There's lots of broad stroke sort of hopeful talk, but what can we actually do today that's going to make some difference? And what would it be like if we did that individually and then bundled that together collectively? And so we came up with these nine things. It's not an exhaustive list, mm -hmm. but what I hope is that people will add to the list. Uh, and it, it has everything, and it's it's based on, I'm a person of faith, so it's, it's deeply based on the best we know from our spiritual traditions, uh, Islam and Judaism and Christianity and beyond. It's highly reflective, highly active, has everything to do with self-management, acknowledging my part of this and deciding to change. You have also enlisted the help of some, I'm assuming, friends and, and those of like-minded. Why well, was important to have this diverse collection of folks talking about these nine things you can do to heal the nation? Because there's strength in diversity. There's strength in diversity of opinion. There's strength in diversity of perspective. Absolutely. Uh, I had something to add, but so did other people have something to add. And so we want to give and offer the, the, the best we can. This is not partisan. It's not for any particular group. It's for us as an American family. And we've got to say that more and more and more, that we're an American family. That old quote is cliche, but it's true. We may have come here in different ships, but we're in the same boat now. That's absolutely true. And so what's going to help us be healthy together as we make progress? When you are in a process where you're trying to figure out or be this this platform, this voice that regardless if you do subscribe to a religion or, or any type of spirituality, mm -hmm. that it is welcoming to everyone. And and yeah. when you and we're going to play a little clip of that in just a moment. But as you put this together, you thinking about, you know, making sure that this message people don't think, oh, it's just the church preaching to us or it's just the bishop preaching that yes. regardless if you yes. subscribe to any religion or not, that you can understand the message at least. Yeah, because I, I think at the end of the day, it, it, the heart of us all is good. And so I'm, I'm trying to make an appeal to the good that's in all of us, to the God that's in all of us, whether you subscribe to that language or not, there is good in us. And if we can amplify that and if we can leverage that and, and mobilize that, then I think we're all better off. So I'm always trying to talk beyond the church's walls, always trying to talk beyond the synagogue, beyond the mosque. I'm trying to talk to people. You know, I happen to be a Christian, and, and when we watch Jesus, really, Jesus is talking to everybody. He's not bound by a tradition. He's formed by a tradition, but he offers the very best of that tradition to everybody. And I think that's the best of spirituality. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bishop Wright, we're going to play uh, a, a bit of that for our listeners. You are listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice. For NPR, I'm Rose Scott. We're back in a moment. Hang with us. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. If you just join us, I'm joined by Atlanta Bishop Robert Wright. And he's part of what he's become part of what they call nine things you can do to heal the nation. We're actually going to play the entire clip for you in just a moment. But Bishop Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this, Bishop Wright. Do folks ever tell you, you you too political? Don't be talking politics. <laughs> yeah, I love it when they say that because I understand that politics means the common good. Uh, I would like to make a, a dis- distinction when people want to label me as political. I am political because the gospel is political, but I'm not partisan. Mm-hmm. And that's a key distinction, right? Political means I'm after the common good, the wellness of us all. And I'm going to be about that, about sharing resources and about sharing gifts and talents for progress for all of us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If that makes me political, then yes, and twice on <laughs> Sunday, but I'm not a partisan, which is a difference. Absolutely. Well, what do you make of that? You know, listen, some religions and some faith, faith-based groups are very heavily involved in campaigns and, you know, uh, advising politicians. And politicians love to say, I'm of this, I'm of that. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have to say, I have to say it troubles me. Uh, when I think about the best of the faith tradition, uh, I understand us as being ambassadors for a God who is big and who loves all. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our God is not small. So we ought not chop up God in small bits and pieces, red or blue or otherwise. And so it it worries me that we're trying to make God in our own image and and have God to believe our political platform. I think it does the conversation about religion a great harm, especially in the eyes of young people who are tempted to write the whole thing off as small and antiquated. Mm -hmm. Well, as promised, take a listen to this. This is the things you can do to heal the nation. Hello everyone, Bishop Wright here. Uh, We have had an awfully difficult year as a nation, an awfully difficult year, and the year ahead promises to be one of lots of work, especially the work of healing. Uh, And so a number of us have put together a list of the nine things that you and I can do beginning today that will heal our nation. Please join me on these nine things. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Number one, pray for our nation. Pray for President Trump. Pray for President-elect Biden. Number two, be kind in speech and action, especially with those with whom you disagree. Tercero, acepta la petición de Jesús de orar por nuestros enemigos y de bendecir a todos los que nos maldigan. Four, use your social media platforms only for positive, non-aggressive, encouraging, and constructive purposes. Number five, refuse to pass along information as truth that does not bear the marks of good scholarship and fairness. 
Reflexiona y abandona tu necesidad de sentirte y comportarte como alguien superior a otros miembros de la familia estadounidense. Number seven. Schedule a conversation with a family member or a coworker who sees the world differently and be curious rather than defensive or combative. Number eight. Accept responsibility for making the country and the world better, kinder, healthier, safer, cleaner, and more just. And finally, number nine. Commit to an organization for three years whose purpose is to bring equity to our country, our American family. God bless you. Now, Bishop Wright, you asking for a lot. <laughs> for some people. <laughs> I like the social I media. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm asking for a lot. You ask for a lot, Absolutely Bishop. Absolutely right. You know why? You know why, Rose? I'm glad you said it, because it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. For all of the progress that we have made as a country, it has taken an extraordinary effort on behalf of the average person to make the change we say we're about in this country. And so why have we stopped asking, you know, big things and heavy things Uh, from people. The people that you and I admire, I bet we could create a list together, are those men and women who did extraordinary things, who lived normal lives, who never thought they were changing the course of history. They just thought that was right and decent to do. And so, yeah, I'm asking a lot. That's the ask. Step it up. Raise the floor height. Let's do this together. We can make it better. The uh, young man who talked about, you know, accept responsibility to make this a, a just world. Did you come up with all of these sort of affirmations and then you connected them with certain people? I did. I, I did. And, um, you know, I have to I have to say that my uh, my young son, my 21 my year old son helped me an awful lot because we always want to take into consideration the younger folks among us. And then we sort of farmed it out to some people. And, and there are people on this list who are Republican, who are Democrat. There are people on this list who would not agree with a lot I have to say in, in, in a lot of instances, but who can come together now and produce this and offer this to a wider audience. And so that's the exciting part. If we can find a first step together, mm-hmm. then I think we're on to something. But, but let's, let's be clear. Uh, we have to do this. I mean, I, like I said, I have five children. I want to give them an America It looks more like uh, America's ideals mm-hmm. than it does presently. Well, and if that's going to happen, we have to do something. Well, and Bishop Wright, and, and we've talked about this before. Look, folks know that whatever your issue, concerns you had, challenges with this last administration, yeah. all the issues don't magically disappear with the no. election of a new president. And, and some of these issues have been around for a very, very long time. You know, yes. um, centuries. Yes. So, yes. With the understanding that people have the understanding that this is not going to magically disappear, it takes work. Um, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting work. You yes. know that. You know, John Lewis talked about it. Um, yes. How do you? What do you suggest to people to balance themselves in all of this if they want to be a part of effective change, whatever that looks like for them? Yeah, I appreciate that. So one of the things I would say is, is that um, one of the reasons we created the list was to give people something specific, something particular, because if you don't chop this thing up into small pieces, you will be overwhelmed and undone and won't do anything because you'll, it'll, just the world will just fall on you. A great friend of mine in Emory, uh, Gregory Ellison, uh, uh, tells a story about his grandmother, a little boy. He was a little boy. He was an enterprising little boy. He said to his grandma, I want to change the world. 
And uh, wow, what, what an amazing thing that is to say. And grandma, without missing a beat, turned to her beloved little boy and said, baby, I don't know about changing the world, but you can change the three feet in front of you. This list is so that you and I can have some idea about how to get working on the three feet that's in front of us. And so on the way to this, we're going to have to say some no's to some things. So look at your over uh, sort of uh, overwrought schedules. Maybe you need to trim that down. That's why we asked you commit to one organization, just one organization and go deep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are, are the types of things. Focus yourself, ask yourself, reflect. What do you care most about? What can you contribute? Not all of us are going to be in Congress. Not all of us are going to be in Senate. So what can you do? Mm -hmm. I, as a, I, as a bishop, someone who, who has a form, who communicates, I have something to offer, but so does someone else. And so I'm asking people so that we don't get overwhelmed, so that we do care for ourselves, pick your lane and commit to it. Well, what are you committing to? I'm committing to doing this. I'm committing to broadening my conversation partners. It is very easy for a clergy person to stay within his or her boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. His or her denomination. And what I want to do is what I understand Jesus did a lot of. I want to increase my conversation partners. And so I'm really appreciative of this format because I think religion, spirituality at its best has something to say to everybody. I think it's a resource that we can harness, a 6,000 in some instances, 8,000 year old resource mm -hmm. that you and I can use, especially now when the chips are down. Atlanta Bishop Robert Wright talking about the nine things you can do to heal the nation. We'll have a link on our website. Bishop Wright, as always, good to talk to you. I appreciate you taking the time. Rose, God bless you and thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate it, thank you. such good music courtesy of grace walker everybody closer look continues now here on 90.1 wabe atlanta's choice for npr i'm rose scott it's the headline that public health officials and quite frankly maybe all of us dread it to read quote the united states is entering its worst period for covid 19 infections to date close quote now heading into these winter months it was expected a potential spike in coronavirus infections would occur and it's true and just last Friday, the U.S. again set a daily record with 184,000 newly confirmed infections. And this is all happening at a time when colleges and universities are planning for the spring semester. Now, along with Spelman and Clark Atlanta, Morehouse College plans to allow uh, some students and faculty back on campus. Here's Morehouse President Dr. Davis Thomas, Dr. David Thomas on Monday's program. Every student will be tested prior to coming to campus and then... All of our athletes will be tested three times a week if they're playing competitively. And each of our students, faculty and staff who are on campus will be tested uh, at least once a week and likely more. Well, as we continue to check in with area institutions of higher learning, we now welcome Agnes Scott, President, President Leo Katie Leo Zach. Zach. President Zach. Hi, Rose. How are you? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you very much for asking. 
I'll ask you the same question I asked uh, President Thomas yesterday. When you think back in March when all this started, I think the first time we actually had a conversation here on Closer Look, there might have been 12 confirmed cases in the whole nation that we knew about. And now we're at nearly 11 million in November. What do you make of all this? It is staggering. Uh, It clearly is something that we all have to pay attention to. Um, We all have to do our part. And I, as you know, I'm someone who contracted COVID myself. And um, having done what you're supposed to do to wear a mask and to physical distance. So it is an unprecedented time and it's an unprecedented schedule, excuse me, struggle. But I believe we can get through this together. And if we follow some of the basic rules as we do that. Can you give a assessment of how the virtual classes have been going so far and the feedback you've received from students and faculty? I will say I am very proud of our faculty and staff for being able to pivot and be able to provide virtual education and also our students who've received it so well. Mm-hmm. But of course, there are some people who learn better in one mode than in the other. Also different environments in which people are learning. So it really is a mixed bag. I think that we'll see virtual learning growing in some areas and for some people, but it's also part of our decision to bring some of our students back in mm-hmm. the spring. That some students learn better in an in-person environment, or at least in a residential environment that we can provide for them. As you heard coming into the segment when we spoke to President Thomas from Morehouse College yesterday, do you also have conversations with other area colleges and university presidents to kind of see what they're doing? Um, Not that that influences you all's decision, but I imagine you all are curious. It is one of the wonderful things about being in the Atlanta area are the institutions and the presidents at those institutions. Um, We do have an opportunity to talk one-on-one, and there are great relationships among the presidents. There's also an organization called ARCH, Mm -hmm. which is a regional organization of both public and private colleges and universities uh, that compares notes and meets regularly. Um, but I have to say I'm particularly grateful for those one-on-one relationships with the other presidents in the area. So let's take listeners through what the plan is for 2021. And it, right now it's a plan. Um, first, when will the campus technically open, I guess? Well, and you're so right to preface it with it. It is a plan. And of course, at the health and safety of our students and faculty and staff are paramount. So we'll be constantly reviewing this. But right now we plan to open up for students on January 7, uh, January 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, we anticipate our faculty and staff, um, some of our faculty to be working remotely, continue to have classes remotely or in a blended mode. So that some remote, some in class. Of course, we're gonna have people coming to prepare the campus for a student's arrival. So that'll begin um, at the beginning of January when we have people who are doing that. But we look forward to having our students, um, at least 50% of our students coming back. Of that 50%, are you, is it freshmen, transfers, seniors, or is it strictly just who wants to come back until you reach a capacity? We decided that when consultation with our students, Um, as well as some of the professionals in the area, we decided to do it on the basis of who wanted to come back. Hmm. That we thought this created an environment in conjunction with our Be Well campaign, 
where the students were responsible for being there, um, responsible for themselves. And frankly, across the classes, there are students that it is a better learning environment for them to be on campus. So we wanted to be able to provide that for them. And of course, there will be uh, priorities that might be given if we're oversubscribed um, to some students or international students or housing insecure students. What's the number we, so far? I'm sorry. Um, right now, um, we are up against, uh, we're getting up to that limit, um, but we also want, we're hopeful um, that we may be able to provide more opportunities. So we're encouraging people to continue to apply um, and creating a waiting list and seeing what we can do from there. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Agnes Scott, President Leo Kadia Zak, and we're talking about the institution's plans to bring some students back January 19th. That's that big date, right? It's a big day. How are you all planning in terms of implementing social distancing and all the safety measures? How, how will you all work through that? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with respect to the other institutions in the area and the other college presidents. It's information that we have been sharing um, in the higher education community. So in particular for Agnes Scott, similar to what I, um, I know some of the other institutions are doing, all of our faculty and staff who will be coming on campus will be tested before coming on campus, as well as all of our students. Um, there will be testing and tracing. Um, we do have an app um, for our students in particular to follow their testing and tracing and continued testing while they're on campus. We also have an honor code um, at Agnes Scott um, and our students are very big believers in that code. And I actually have confidence that our students are going to watch out for each other because that's really what this is about is watching out for one another as well as yourself but you all are going to test students and faculty on a regular basis? Or are you going to, you saying that they should do that? No, we will, okay. um, we will require testing um, of faculty and staff and have um, no of sites that are available, but for our students, we'll be providing testing for our students. And in terms of the dorms and the residential situations, are you all limit, limiting that to no more than two students to a room? I don't know if you have quads there at Agnes Scott. Um, how are you all managing that? No, thank you. You're, uh, you're right on with respect to that. The reason we chose 50% is so that we could provide each student with a single room and also to be sure that we had enough room available in the, if there was a need for quarantine space as well. So that's why we chose to bring back 50% is to ensure single occupancy. And what about in terms of the facilities, I mean, you, not only we've been talking about the students and the faculty, but you, know, you have to also protect your, your staff workers, your support staff. Um, you all will be providing all the PPP, PPE that's necessary as well? You're absolutely right. And, you know, there are first responders and a first line of defense. And I'm so grateful to them because there are essential workers who've been working all this time on campus. And yes, um, we are providing PPE. We're also providing training mm -hmm. um, as well because people can have the best of intentions but not know what the process is. So before our faculty, staff come on campus, um, we will be providing training um, with respect to how to use the PPE mm -hmm. and how to interact. 
Um, I know the hardest thing, especially at Agnes Scott, is everyone wants to run up and give somebody a hug. Um, and we know that's not something we're going to be able to do. Mm -hmm. So um, helping people sort of find alternatives for that to still express their concern for one another, um, but to keep their distance at Pre the same time. President Zach, how has this pandemic taken a financial toll on not just the the college here, but for your students too, for those that normally might would have relied on working on campus or working with a specific program on campus, I imagine it's been, it's been rough. It's been very difficult. And it's also a big part of the reason why we want to be able to bring as many students back as we can safely, because we know that when they return to campus, they have the ability to have work study or you know, other jobs that might be available to them as well that they might not have been able to have during this period. I will say we have continued um, for some of our students work study virtually. So we're able to continue to provide that. But this has been just an extraordinary time. And for Agnes Scott, where 40% of our students are Pell Grant students, mm -hmm. where we have no racial, ethnic, or socioeconomic majority, um, we really do have you know, some of our students that are struggling um, during this time. So we look forward to being able to bring them back to campus where they can learn the best. Dr. Thomas yesterday on the program said that there was some realizations throughout this for them based on their students' needs, you know, who were learning virtually, and one being connectivity issues for some students, some students not even having a device, laptop, tablet, what have you. Uh, again, I'd heard stories, talked to students who were trying to take classes just with their phone. Um, no, it, it's really, it really is true. We have sent out um, devices for people to be able to connect hotspots as well as tablets. But it's also just the time um, that some of the students, that they are trying to get on internet the same time others are, they're babysitting um, while their parents are working or they're working because their parents are not mm -hmm. and still trying to go to school full time. So it's a, it's a significant stress on our students that I think none of us anticipated um, and not a lot of people realize. And I, I'm glad that there is that recognition now. What's been the financial loss for Agnes Scott? Have you looked at the, the numbers? You can imagine I look at the numbers every day. Um, I have looked at the numbers. Sometimes I try to close my eyes. Um, for us, um, you know, there has been a financial loss, um, you know, around $3 million a semester. However, I will say I have to thank our community for what they have done um, because our faculty and staff um, have given up some of their benefits so that we can reduce that amount of that loss of the revenues coming in. Um, at the same time, our leadership team has reduced their salary. Um, we unfortunately had to furlough some individuals, some for just a day in the mm -hmm. week, um, but some more full time. So to be able to balance that budget, um, we did have to take you know, extraordinary measures to be able to make that happen. Um, so without the reduced revenues, we had to reduce expenses during that period. And, it, and it's clearly not sustainable. Coming into the segment, and I read that headline, quote, the United States is entering its worst period for COVID-19 infections to date. When you reflect where we are right now, President Zach, can you understand someone listening and 
listeners emailed, even with President Thomas yesterday, saying, why are y'all now going to allow students to come back in January, February? I guess, are you hoping that the numbers will decline? I mean, we're just a few months out here. Uh, Are you optimistic that the numbers will? Um, I'm, I'm optimistic about our community. And um, I, of all people, um, having gone through the experience and understand um, how, how vital it is that we keep our students safe, um, but we also know that it's important for them to be able to be in an environment where they learn, um, be able to have access to mental health facilities during that time, and that for some, they may be even safer. Um, on campus than they may be in other environments Mm -hmm. where we can provide a single room for them. So we, of course, are going to look at the health and safety and the numbers as we get closer to that date. But we've learned a lot since last March and even since the fall of how to be able to keep people safe and what they need. What's your response to someone who says, but if folks are have contracted the virus or folks are sick, their aptitude for learning won't be there anyway. Or maybe they're psychic, you know, what, what's your response to that? Are you saying that? Again, we hope to create an environment where they won't be contracting the virus. Mm-hmm. Or for some, they have a better chance being on our campus than perhaps in some other environments. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would agree with that. Um, but I think we are hoping to create an environment where you can't guarantee anything, but to create as as safe an environment as possible so they can learn. And in many cases, it's safer than the environment they're currently in. You know, the last time we spoke, remember I asked you, I said, President Zach, had you been tested? And you said not yet, but I think you were going to. When you reflect on, did you, you, the symptoms, were they recognizable to you that maybe you had contracted the virus? Rose, I cannot tell you the number of times I think about that question um, and that you asked that. And did you have some, you know, foresight? um, Don't put that that on me. No, I I don't know. I don't know. You're the oracle, I think. Um, I thought I had um, food poisoning. Mm. Um, First of all, I'm a horrible cook. Um, oh, President so, Zach, don't tell folks that sorry, <laughs> no one's going to come to your house now. That's for sure. Well, I'll have other people help me. Um, <laughs> but I I am just terrible, and I assumed that I had food poisoning mm-hmm. because I didn't have what they were advertising, you know, as the normal symptoms. And it's one thing that I would encourage people. Um, it What did happen is that, you know, I did have the gastrointestinal, I had a fever, but I didn't have initially the cough or the sore throat or the smell, things that people thought of. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate um, in the fact that my healthcare provider said, you know, you need to get to the hospital. And I have to confess, um, while I was there, I'm like, I have to go, Um, you know, I have things to do. And they're like, oh no, um, you're not going to. So the other lesson there Mm -hmm. is if you're not feeling well, even if it doesn't fit the symptoms for a number of days, talk to a healthcare provider um, and seek help. During your time of getting well, what was going through your mind? Or did you think maybe, I don't know how I'm gonna come out of this? Um, well, I will say I am extremely grateful um, to the entire community for their thoughts and prayers. I'm grateful to science 
and Emory University Hospital and the healthcare. Um, Star, the nurse who was there, who encouraged me all the time, if you're listening, you were absolutely awesome. And um, there, it was, it was a difficult period. I will say, I think it was even more difficult, and this is something I think that people don't realize, for the people around me, for my husband mm -hmm. who couldn't visit. Um, there was a period of time I was on a ventilator, I wasn't conscious, and he, he couldn't visit. Um, so the community took care of him too. And I will say that was also a time that the other college presidents really came through and helped to support me and um, my community. So I am so grateful um, to everyone for what they did. And yes, there were times I made a couple promises to God. Um, I'm still working on some of those. Um, but one of them, as you might hear, my voice is still healing. Mm -hmm. And that has really focused me to make sure that people can use their voice, mm -hmm. to raise their voice, raise their voice um, through a vote or raise their voice for social justice. Mm. So, and I also recognize that I was privileged to have the care that I did and others may not have that privilege and that access and to use my voice to ensure that they get that access. It puts a lot of things in perspective, doesn't it, President Zach? It certainly does. And yes, you can go ahead and shout out Star and any of the uh, health workers that, that saw you through this. So yeah, go ahead. Say her name they again. Were <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Star, you were awesome. Um, and, you know, all of the doctors who were fantastic, the nurses, the aides, and, you know, even just the anyone who would come in to the ICU, they were so caring and so encouraging. And I learned so much about how to encourage others because they never gave up mm -hmm. and they constantly encouraged me and told me not to give up. And I hope I take that to every single student at Agnes Scott and beyond, that never give up. And finally, if you all do make a decision to remain online, um, that will come from you and the board, the board of trustees, and you'll be okay with that, I take it. Whatever, I, again, our decision will always be for the health and safety. Um, but again, with a greater recognition that health and safety for some may be that they need to be at Agnes Scott. Mm -hmm. Agnes Scott President Leo Kadia Zak. That date is January 19th, where 50% of the students will come back and some of the faculty. President Zak, first of all, we are so grateful that you are, are able to come back and join us. And um, don't scare people now, because now they don't want to come on the show if Rose asks them if they got a COVID test. <laughs> but, Thank you so much, Rose. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Take care. Me too. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wab.org slash Closer Look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.